Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to another edition of the Round Ball Ramble podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. Listen, y'all, October is here. That means it is NBA kickoff month. I am pumped. I am excited. Round Ball Ramble is back. You can expect an episode pretty much every weekday um, until the season starts. And after that, all bets are off. We might go every day. We probably go on every day. We'll see how that goes. But make sure you stay tuned. I really want to step it up this year, mix up um, some live shows, um, some more interactive content. I, I want to try to do something different this year. Go all out. Just see what happens. So definitely make sure to stay tuned for that. Also, check me on Instagram, at CorbinNBA. No real reason. I just need people to check me on Instagram. So just want to let y'all know that. Okay, listen. So this is the Dame Ian Lillard um, reaction podcast. I want to say it was a little more emergency podcast, but my editing took forever to get this out. So I apologize for that. But I was a guest on Stephen Bagel's um, The Bird Rights podcast, which was and is a very good show. Uh, definitely make sure to check out The Bird Rights podcast. And we broke it down from all angles. Damian Lillard going to the Bucks. What does it look for Milwaukee? What does it look for Portland and the haul that they got back? Um, as I'm recording this, and I will have to... You'll hear this sooner than later, but their Drew Holiday, who got traded to Portland, is now traded to Boston. So I have reaction pod for that as well coming up. But we talked about what Portland might do, what they look like right now. Then we went to the Phoenix side of it, looked at whether the haul they got back um, for being a part of the trade helped their depth, if it hurt, whatever the case may be. And then we closed it with Drew Holiday trades, which is hilarious because one of the trades that Steven mentions in this podcast is the one that ended up happening. Um, sure you didn't know what it is, but kind of funny that we were ahead of the curve. So definitely make sure to sit back, relax, and enjoy that and stay tuned for more round ball ramble coming up. All right. This is it for now. Enjoy. I'll talk to y'all real, real soon, y'all. What's going on, party people? I am your host, Stephen Bagel. This is another episode of the Bird Rights Podcast. I am here. We are actually doing a crossover episode on Round Bar Rambles feed as well. Maybe a bonus episode somewhere else as well. Because as you guys know, it's Corbin Ford, host of Round Bar Ramble, host of a whole bunch of things right now of what he's doing. So Corbin, how are you doing today? You know, Steve, I miss talking basketball with you. I'm doing great. I'm doing great right now. So well, I can't complain. Talking thank- ball. You could thank Joe Cronin and Damian Lillard and the Trailblazers organization because now we have, you know, something to talk about. So... Emergency pod. Do 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 do. That was the sirens going off. There we go. We get uh I forget whether it was Woes or Shames first, but either way, it was Wednesday afternoon, if I'm remembering correctly, when it went down, that Damian Lillard has been traded to the Milwaukee box. Which <clears throat> I wouldn't say they were like the dark horse of all dark horses, it's just like okay, they don't really have the young assets or the draft picks to make a trade work. Trade ends up being Damian Lillard to the box, Drew Holiday, DeAndre Aiden, Tumani Kamara, pick swaps in 28 and 30, and a first-round pick in 29 unprotected to the Blazers, and the Suns get Joseph Nurchik, Nasir Little, Keon Johnson, and Grayson Allen. So, obviously a lot to break down. A little bit. A little bit. Let's start with who didn't make a deal. That's the Miami Heat. That's the Toronto Raptors. Those were the two speculated teams that seem to be the front runner of the Damian Lillard sweepstakes. Miami, it seems like they haven't even talked in weeks about it. It just seemed like, oh, we don't have enough. Okay, we're out. 
and they didn't really try to rope in a third team. I don't really think it really got that far. Um, Toronto, meanwhile, I just had Esbara Haney on from our mock trade deadline uh, last week, actually, right before it was announced or speculated that Toronto is a front runner for Dame. He was on Little I think, the day before. And we were talking about how the Raptors just, you know, kind of need a retour, probably trade Siaka, maybe trade OG if you're not going to resign him. And, you know, they already let Van Vliet walk, but they gave up the first round pick for Yakupodal at the same time. So it's like Toronto, I suppose it kind of made sense, but they weren't also in a position where it totally was like a seamless fit anyway to acquire Dame Lillard. Yeah. Milwaukee makes a lot more sense. What was your initial reaction when this trade went down, when you first saw it? I was shocked. Um, I really thought it was going to be Dame to Miami some way. Um, I just I felt that the leverage, you know, that Miami had. I mean, other teams wanted Dame, but the leverage that Dame kind of, I guess, flexed or attempted to flex. And now we're learning more behind the scenes that there was more involved. Um, just led it to a matter of, win but not if right so milwaukee coming out of it totally out of the blue especially since i'm still a little bit of a basketball romanticist and you have a guy in drew holiday the day before the trade saying hey listen i want to retire as milwaukee buck all the things i'm like yeah they're gonna keep the core together give one more year and then blow things up and then boom no the bucks wasted no time so shocked was one thing i think the balance of the of the power in eastern conference definitely shifted um Boston, I already had question marks before with the acquisition of Christoph Porzingis, just how that would work together. Um, the availability of himself with the Robert Williams, with a 38-year-old Al Horford, and just how that would work alongside Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, all of that. And then Miami, I mean, clearly we're already losers in the offseason before missing out on Dame. So there was a few, I, mean, I think there was a few question marks in the East already, but now that's all been answered, you know, health permitting with Damian Lillard going to the Bucks. I just didn't see this as a move that was going to happen. Um, the Suns getting involved was interesting. Obviously, that gave another uh, interesting piece for Portland, which helped them to, you know, facilitate this trade. Um, but, yeah, I think the first thing I have to say was pure shock. I was like, whoa. And I figured it was probably Drew gone because I didn't even – when I heard Dame to Milwaukee, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're keeping Chris Middleton. You know, Giannis obviously staying there. It has to be Drew, but whoa. You know, and I'm still kind of there. Looking at it now, it makes a little more sense. I, I think that, you know – the Bucks sacrifice a little bit of depth, um, especially, you know, defensive guard depth, if you will, um, in order to get Dame, but the clear upgrade. I mean, Dame is just a better player. Um, and that's and that's no disrespect on Drew, who is a damn good player himself, but it just shows there's levels to it, and I'm still kind of reeling from it. So the person I feel most bad for in this situation is definitely Mike Budenholzer. I mean, really? so can't you? <laughs> Like, imagine, imagine this Milwaukee Bucks lineup, okay? You have Dame, who makes his money by drawing double teams coming off of screens. You can no longer do that to Dame. So he's either going to not be getting double teamed off of screens and either getting wide open 30-footers or driving to the basket, or he's going to have Giannis as the pick and roll or Brooke Lopez as the pick and pop. And you're getting great shots. I mean, the offense is going to be a thing of beauty. It's something that I envision Mike Budenholzer thriving coaching in. Mm. See, I, I, I'm not, I don't know enough about Adrian Griffin as a head coach to mm. know what type of system he's going to implement. So uh, he's a first time head coach. So you, you, there's always question marks about that. Absolutely. But 
I am very excited to see, you know, the dynamic of who do you leave open? Because here's my dark horse for that starting lineup. Everyone's asking who the fifth starter is going to be now that Grayson Allen is gone. Yes. I have Brooke at the five. You're going to have Giannis probably at the four, unless you decide to start Bobby Portis as well, which I don't think you do because I don't think you start three bigs in today's NBA. No. So Giannis at the four, Dame at the one, and Middleton either at the two or the three. So who is the other wing starter? Could it be Jay Crowder? I think he might make sense. I think he makes sense. I think Pat Connaughton makes a little bit of sense. He's similar to Grayson Allen. Point of attack at the guard. My dark horse for the starting five? Northern Iowa's own A.J. Green. Rookie was on a two-way last year. That dude lights, is a lights-out shooter. If you put a lights let's, let's just say you have Dame with the lights-out shooter, with Middleton, Brooke, and Giannis, who do you leave open if you want to double-team Dame or Giannis? I mean, I will say this. The, the answer to that question is nobody. Like, you, you, it's gonna be, you, you have to stay home, right? That's the thing you have to do. My problem is, where is the defense at that front? You're putting a lot of stress on both Giannis and Brooke Lopez. Because, like, Dame, when engaged, like, you know, is a decent defender, but he's not a, he's not, he's not a, He's a decent defender when engaged, right? He's still going to have a large offensive load, going to be helped out demonstrably by Giannis. But, like, between him, I mean, Pat Conton's okay. I don't know A.J. Green's level of defense. But, like, none of that looks like, okay, when you're playing, I don't know, uh, a team with an explosive backcourt, let's say the Dallas Mavericks. Not even explosive backcourt, but a backcourt that can hurt you in different ways. I mean, Kyrie's a problem in general. Luka's a matchup nightmare in general. Like, you're putting a lot of stress on your backline defense, I think, if you flex that way. Like, yes, A.J. Green, if you bring that offensive boost, you are committing to saying we're going to score 130. And defense, you know, if Giannis and Brooks in the area, beware. But I, I just that's the question I ask you. Where does that come from? So if I'm coaching the Milwaukee box, they already play a drop defense with Brooke Lopez defending the rim as is. Giannis defended the pick and roll just about more than any player in the NBA last year, despite being a big man. Giannis could handle those pick and roll ball handlers. He's that versatile. If, you know, they're not really doing pick and roll, you want to have Giannis. Let's say they're playing, I don't know, Sixers are a bad example, but I'm thinking of a team that has two good big twin tower type guys. Denver doesn't really fit them more either, but let's just say they're going against... Jokic and Michael Porter Jr. or something. And Brooke Lopez defending the rim. Obviously, Jokic is his primary assignment. And then you want to stick Giannis on Michael Porter Jr. I think Chris Middleton could adequately defend like a Jamal Murray type. Again, Jamal Murray is going to get his regardless. And there's even after Chris Middleton's knee injuries. Like, like maybe he's more oh, engaged defensively. Because less of an offensive load, I think you're right. He's a guy who stands to benefit and can use more of his, you know, energy in that way. But don't you think some of his mobility, you know, for a guy in his what, I'd say just before mid-30s with those knee injuries is going to be less a lot of pressure to be able to kick for his and bring us home. You know what I mean? I mean, not bring us home, but defensively to be a responsible guy. I mean, I guess he has to be. They don't have another player capable of fitting that. But I just wonder if that, like, do you have any worries about that? I have worries, but I think if I have one of the 
five best, two, probably two of the five best rim protectors in the league, but Rook being one of the five best rim protectors in the league and Giannis being just about the most versatile defender that could cover guards or bigs or wings. I think those two alone with the minutes Jay Crowder's going to play off the bench, with the minutes that Marjan Bochamp, if he could take a leap, plays off the bench, I I think you're okay. I mean, and this team's going to look different in the playoffs. You don't think they're going to make a move at the deadline? Of course they are. So I, I think they'll be able to address that at a later date as well. But I am, I don't know. I think perimeter defense is important, but it's not the end-all be-all either. I think with Giannis and Brooke in tow, you're going to have a top 10 defense regardless. Okay. No, I mean, that's true. I mean, Gian- Giannis, all well defender. Brooke Lopez was in the defense player of the year race last year. So I get that. I just feel like, that's a lot to say, especially since both, like you said, are playing drop. I, I And I don't know Adrian Giffen's defensive strategy. Maybe he's more aggressive defensively. I think he might be more so in how he pursues that than, you know, Budenholzer, Budenholzer was. Now, whether that's a good or bad thing because of, you know, the fact that the personnel's definitely different now, I'm not sure. And it, it stands to say that Drew Holiday did take a step back as a defender last year. But even Drew Holiday taking a step back as a defender is still miles better than Dame, right? But I I get you. I don't think it's going to stop them from being one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, if not the best team in the Eastern Conference. Um, Actually, let me rephrase that. I don't think it's going to stop them from being the best team in the Eastern Conference, if not one of the best teams in the NBA. Okay. The Milwaukee Bucks. We're going to get... We are going to get to potential Drew Holiday trade destinations in a little bit to see, you know, will they sack up? Because I think in Vegas, Boston is actually the favorites to lane Drew Holiday, if I'm not, like the betting favorites. Interesting. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But let's move on to the Portland Trailblazers aspect of it. It was Jake Fisher reported sometime last week, friend of the pod, Jake Fisher, by the way. He reported that the Portland Trailblazers wanted DeAndre Aiden. Like this... Juice of Nurchik for DeAndre Aiden, three-team in a Dame. That's been in the works with regardless of who the third team would have been that Dame went to. They've had their eye on him, and they acquire him. As much as I'm happy for DeAndre Aiden, because I think, you know, he just needed to change the scenery. I mean, he didn't choose to resign in Phoenix. He signed in Indiana. He chose to get out of there because he wasn't happy in Phoenix. He didn't like Monty Williams. Obviously, Monty Williams is gone now, but... I, I think he desperately I think he's closer to the DeAndre Aiden we saw in the 2021 finals than the DeAndre Aiden we've seen since. And I think that's why he needed to change the scenery. Now I would I think if any coach would have been able to unlock DeAndre Aiden in Phoenix, it would have been Frank Vogel because he's a defensive mastermind. But I'm excited to see the young core of Scoot Henderson and Anthony Simons and Shaden Sharp. And DeAndre Aiden. And for now, Jeremy Grant's probably that fifth star, depending on what they get for Drew Holiday. So I- I'm excited for Aiden. I mean, he's a walking 20 and 10. Like, uh, I'm not a big just look at stats guy, but 20 and 10 means something to me. Even so. DeAndre Aiden, if he could figure it out defensively, which I think he could be more balled in having a more central feature role where he could be more of the guy at least this year and next year until Scoot Henderson is really ready to, you know, be the number one on that team. Uh, I think, again, I would, I was very excited for DeAndre Aiden to try to figure it out with Frank Vogel, but I, I think this is okay for him. My other caveat, 
My other mm. caveat before you talk about Aiden is the Bucks. Yeah, if you're Joe Cronin, would you rather take a Milwaukee 28 and 30 swap, which is unprotected and could be great? Because by then, Dame is probably retired. Giannis is 34, 35, 36 years old. And an unprotected. you basically have three unprotected picks from them, assuming you're better than they are at that point. Like, if Milwaukee bottoms out by 2028, you have three premium, potentially top five, top ten lottery picks. That's something that no one's talking about. Like, if Miami gave the two first and a swap and Tyler Hero, sure. But Miami always finds a way to get a guy. Like, everyone talks about, oh, the Lakers 27 and 29 first were so valuable. No, they're not. Because the Lakers are always going to find a way to bring in a star. So those picks are – Milwaukee is a smaller market where, yes, if Giannis is 34, 35, 36 years old at the time and Dame is retired, those picks might be real damn good. If they suck by 28, you have 28, 29, and 30. So dangle to work with. That's very valuable. Picks that out in the future from a small market team are very, very, very valuable. Yeah, and that's before we factor in what the Blazers are going to trade for Drew Holiday, which we'll talk about next. That's true. Blazers got significantly more than what I was anticipating because, like, Miami didn't have that much. Toronto had a lot, but not that much. I think by the time this Drew Holiday trade goes down, the package in itself, the totality of circumstances, is going to be substantial. No, I think you're right. I, I think that um, well, indefinitely. I mean, they surprised me with their return because, like I said, I thought they need to kind of give in to Lillard and Miami's kind of demands for a partnership. I figured that's what had to be done. Now, the fact they got a good young center, you know, what he's still like five or five years older or so than like a scoot or uh a shade and sharp but he's still young you know that's not going to even factor in until like you know five six years down the line even then he's still gonna be a very productive center in his what late 20s to early 30s like that's gonna be fine you know also the blaze got potential draft help down the road like you said and we're gonna talk about this but drew holiday even at 33 right for portland Nathan right now it's gonna be a lot better for Portland to go and shop him and get a contender or a wannabe contender to say, you know what, Drew Holiday is our piece. Then to try to make that same offer with $120 million owed to Tyler Hero saying, you know what, he could be your missing piece. Like, there's levels to this, right? Tyler Hero, great player, you know, good potential, but he's not Drew Holiday. He hopes to have the impact that Drew Holiday has right now, right? There's just a difference there. So I, I think this is a great initial return for Portland. And like you said, it's not even done yet. Like I would give them a B as is, and that's with an incomplete, because let's be real. I mean, there's not a chance that Drew Holiday is going to be playing a game for the Portland Trailblazers. In fact, there's been reports saying he's probably going to be moved before Monday, more than likely. That's that's what reports have said. So we'll see. Point is, like he is rerouted and Portland is getting more assets back to recoup for the value of, of Drew Holiday. So you make a trade for a player who was dead set on going one place where your trade possibilities were quote-unquote diminished because you only had one potential legit partner to work with. And now not only have you taken back a decent return with a guy in you know Dame, um, DeAndre Ayton, who I'm still very high on, although he called himself dominating, I'm, I'm not too high on that. But you have a player like that, and you have draft picks that are going to feel good because, let's be real, M Milwaukee is not the free agent destination that 
Miami is. They just aren't. They've had Giannis for like 10 years now. Giannis is a star for the last like five, right? And the big acquisitions they've acquired have been through trade. There's not been a big player saying, I'm going to go to Milwaukee, right? It's always been trade for Drew Holiday, trade for Damian Lillard. So in like five years time, yeah, Dame, I don't think Dame will be in the league in like seven years, right? So five years time, who knows where Giannis is? We know where Dame will be. The Blazers are probably, I mean, not the Blazers, the, the Bucks are probably bottoming out, and that pick is looking real nice. Those and picks. Those picks, too. my fault, the swap. I forgot that's about that. Saying. Looking it's real what, good. I think it was Keith Smith and Spotrack who tweeted and said, pick swaps are nothing until they're something. And I think this is a situation where I, I think it very well, they could be nothing, but most likely they will be something. You said it. I would completely agree. I mean, and they flip-flop so much. I think we even saw with the Lakers and the Pelicans over the last couple of years, right? Like what it looked like it might be, and then what it ended up being, and even the little dance this past year where the Lakers were the dead last in the West, and you know, um, New Orleans was at the top of the conference, and they had a chance of possibly getting, like, like you said, it doesn't matter until it does. Um, and I really think that this one will matter, though, because all due respect to Milwaukee, they're not the Lakers. You know what I mean? They do have a savvy front office and good ownership, so we'll see what happens. But I'm willing to put my eggs in the basket that seven years from now, you know, I'm going to have myself a, a top-tier lottery pick or at least the potential of one. Yeah, between the three. Like, let's say Milwaukee's not totally out at 28, 2028 when Giannis is 34 years old, they're still a little competitive. But let's say 29, they start falling off. Then by 30, they – they're not yeah. a lottery team. Then all of a that, sudden, okay, at least you got one bite at the apple, like whatever. Exactly. So, you got a crack at it. So according to Bet Online, here are the odds for Drew Holiday's next team. The favorites are the Boston Celtics at five to two. Second is the Miami Heat, three to one, which it would be so ironic if Miami offers the same package to Portland that they offered for Dame to get Drew Holiday. Uh, I think that would be hilarious. So it would be quite funny. We're going to break down each one of these in terms of, you know, the, what the packages will look like. But Toronto is number three at four to one. Clippers are at five to one. Warriors are at 11 to two. Sixers are at 13 to two. And then Bulls and Jazz are on here at seven to one and 10 to one, respectively. Let's talk about these first Sixers. I think they're the real six teams that make the most sense for Drew. Boston Celtics. They have, theoretically, up to five tradable first. They have their own. They have the 24, 26, 28, and 30, and Golden State's 24 that they got from Memphis for Marcus Smart. So if they really wanted to, they could outbid any teams. And let's talk about maybe the Knicks and the Nets, too. They're not on here, but I think those teams also could potentially make sense. But Boston, figure what? Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, and two first-round picks. How good does that make Boston? Does that put Boston above the Milwaukee Bucks hierarchy with Dame? Listen, what that does is set up, I think regardless of what move is done, I think it sets up a, a, a play, a playoff series where Drew Holiday plays Milwaukee. As a Sixers fan, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> to answer your question, though, yeah, um, that's interesting. That's interesting because, I mean, Robert Williams, I, I love the potential he brings. And defensively, he is a game changer for Boston. Let's be real. Al Horford, still very good defensively. Also going to be 38. Like, that's a legit thing. Chris Hasperzingas, decent room defender. He is. But injury played. Like, his healthiest season was, what, last year, I think? So, like, just the healthiest season in a couple of years, at least, was last year. I, I just think that's a huge 
hit to your backline defense. At the same time, now your guard depth is nasty. I mean, if you put out a three of Holiday, um, Brown, and Tatum, just nasty. You know what I mean? And Holiday is a perfect ancillary offensive player who can kind of get you into your set, kind of get out the way, can have big offensive nights, but especially when they're allowing him to do that, that's even better because it does, you know, let him be the kind of star in his role alongside a, a Tatum and a Holiday. I like that. I really think that's nice. I just, Robert Williams would probably have to be the piece. Um, and also if you're Portland, that's interesting because like are you, Robert William, Williams and Aiden, like Aiden I feel like is, is clearly the better player in my mind. Um, I mean, I guess you take that, you bring him in and you figure it out from then. I'm not really sure how that works. Right. But, um, if you're Portland, it's a decent offer. If you're Boston, I do, I do think that it definitely catapults you a little bit. I think it does just having an impact player of Drew Holiday's caliber. We saw he did in Milwaukee. Now you have him with the better surrounding talent in, in Boston. Cause let's be real in my mind, Tatum, um, and, 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 and Brown are, are, are better then I'd say the collective actually let me not get too hot takey here. I am just going to say I'm very high on Tatum and Brown and with Drew Holiday there, he can kind of help them kind of shore up their weaknesses, play to their strengths. They can help him out as well. I think that makes him scary. Does it make them better than a Dame Giannis? Yikes, because now you've lost your Giannis kind of role defender in Robert Williams, but you have a better player to put on Dame in Drew Holiday. So, I mean, it's interesting. I, that's interesting. On paper, a team of Drew, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Al Horford, Chris Porzingis, with Derek White as your sixth man, might beat the 72 and 10 Chicago Bulls. Thank you, Steven. Thank you. Because your community time was perfect. You held it for a minute. I said, has he lost his mind? Okay. <laughs> but no, you, you said, I mean, on paper, that is the deepest top six in the NBA. <laughs> Yeah, that was a good one. Oh, my uh, God. Yes. So then let's talk about the Miami Heat. Let's say they get Drew Holiday for basically the same package they offer. The two first, Nikola Jovich, and let's say they flip Tyler Hero to, let's say, Utah. And Utah throws a first-round pick with salary filler. So then Portland's essentially would be getting three first-round picks for... And Nikola Jovic for Drew Holiday. Holiday goes to the Heat and then whatever salary fill or whatever it is. And then Hero goes to the Jazz. Mm-hmm. Something like that I could envision. Um, I-, I wouldn't hate it. Miami? I don't know. I just think... Because Miami lost two starters and no one's factoring that in. They're a massive loser so far. I think Miami is almost as desperate as the Sixers to find a way to acquire Drew Holiday. And we'll talk about the Sixers. But... If Miami doesn't get Holiday, they lost Gabe Vincent, they lost Max Struess, all of a sudden, their depth t- took a huge hit this offseason because they kind of put all their eggs in the Dame basket and they struck out and missed. Yeah. I think Miami needs to find a way because all of a sudden they have Drew, Shooter, X, let's say Duncan Robinson, Drew, Duncan, Jimmy, Bam, Caleb Martin as your starting five. With Kyle Lowry as your sixth man, you're cooking with fire, I'd say. I, I don't think you're on the Boston. Uh, I don't think you're on the level of Boston or Milwaukee, mm-hmm. but I, I I think it's intriguing for sure. Drew and Heat culture, I would love. Yeah, yeah, Drew with the Heat would be nice. I honestly think that that's probably in my mind. That's why I'm like Boston's interesting that they're the favorites. I feel like Miami could just take the same offer. 
throw it out there. And now you got the picks. You have the 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 premier player you wanted. You know, maybe you can. I, I think that would be. I think for a player like Dame, no, that deal didn't work. For a player like Drew, you know, who's going to be what a basically a one year deal anyway, potentially. And then you can play with Tyler Hero or Rihanna, whatever the case may be, if you want to do that. I think that's a better fit. Um, because you could still get all the, I mean, Miami's coming from place, like you said, they're clear losers. Like, you could still, you still have all the leverage over Miami. Like, yes, they're getting a lesser player, and they still have to give you the farm. Because the alternative is saying, okay, our big move this offseason was reuniting with um, Josh Richardson as a team that made the NBA Finals last year. Like, no, I, I think you can definitely say, hey, Nikola Jovic, we like him, you know? Jaime Hakez, let's get him in too. Let's get a couple picks. Let's get a few pick swaps. Tyler Hero, let's, why, why not? Roll the dice on him. Maybe we'll keep him and we'll have a loaded backcourt and then figure it out, you know, at trade deadline. Maybe we'll take him and immediately see where that goes and involve that in a bigger deal and get more picks back. But I think if you're Portland, I like the potential that's offered there with a Tyler Hero for Drew Holiday swap. But I don't know. I mean, again, it's, it's one of those things, like you said, like, who gets the best assets? I just think you can work Miami over even more because they're stuck between a rock and a hard place. They were already losers before this happened. Now they're even worse, right? You got, I mean, look, it's pathetic. You got Jimmy Butler and, and Tyler here talking about tampering. Like, like, come on. Like, come on, y'all. So now I feel like Miami definitely has something to make because otherwise, like, they're going to be in like that, that sub-tier East category. I still feel it'll be a very good team, but they've, they, they lost. They lost some depth. You know, they lost some star. They they lost some of the chance to star power. And what people aren't realizing is that you had a, a potential disgruntled Giannis, right? You had a Dame that wanted to be traded. Those two are reunited. Both of those trade options for Miami are gone, at least for the next two years. What if Jimmy Butler's like, you know what? I'm out. Like, I want to request a trade because this ain't working for me. Jimmy's done it for less. Yeah. Let me ask you. The one thing I think the Heat might have on Celtics is that I think the Heat's future first would be more valuable than Boston's. Because Boston, I mean, we're talking about picks in 2028, 20, 2030. Boston, you still, okay, Jason Tatum is still only like, what, 31, 32 years old at the time. Like, they still may be an elite NBA team by 28, 2030. Miami, sure, maybe they bring in a guy because they always seem to, but it's no sure thing. So the one thing I do think is that Miami's picks may be better than Boston's picks. But I, it might be splitting difference at the same time. The next team is Toronto. I don't have a whole lot to say. I think Toronto might have been a sweet space for Dame. I don't think they will be for Drew Holiday as much as they need a point guard after to replace Fred Van Vliet. I don't really, you know, envision that being a feasible scenario because then all of a sudden they'll have Siakam, OGN, Nobi, and Drew Holiday all hitting free agency next year with no first round pick because they'll pick his top six protected to San Antonio and they're not going to be a bottom six team if they get Drew Holiday. So, catch 22 for them. So then let's talk about the Clippers, Warriors, and Sixers. As big of a nightmare as it would be for the Bucks to get Dame, the Celtics to get Drew, and Sixers to strike out and be stuck with James Harden is already a nightmare in itself. The bigger nightmare for me as a Sixers fan is the Clippers getting Drew. And then who the hell is going to want James Harden? In this scenario, good, yeah. let's say the Clippers do two first with they have a million expiring contract salary fill. Like everyone is speculating it would be like Drew to the Sixers, Harden to the Clippers, 
each one of those teams, the Clippers send a first, Sixers send a first to Portland, and then whatever expiring salary filler to Portland from the Clippers. One, Clippers probably value Drew Holiday more than James Harden, so why would they help facilitate that when they go straight for Drew themselves? And two, Kyle Newback from previously the Philly Voice, he's a Sixers beat writer now with, I think, Philly Sports, which is a company that just started around out here. He basically reported there's no traction on that. The Clippers, Sixers, and Blazers, three team, there's no traction on it. It's not going to happen. If the Clippers get Drew Holiday, Sixers are going to be stuck with James Harden because no one else is going to want him. So we've kind of talked about these teams together in terms of the Clippers and the Sixers. Mm-hmm. In terms of fit, I think Drew Holiday, Tyrese Maxey, and Joel Embiid is a beautiful fit. And I know I just trolled you a little bit with the whole 72 and 10 Bulls thing. But, you sure did. You sure did. But, okay, being serious, what's a better perimeter? I know we talk about perimeter defense a little bit with the box. What's a better perimeter defensive core? Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, and Ron Harper, or a healthy Drew Holiday, Paul George, and Kawhi Leonard? Because that is a conversation. That That is that is true. And that but is you, true. You know Kawhi is going to miss 20 games. You know Paul George is going to miss 20 games. Whatever. But I'm saying at full strength in the playoffs, which I, I would probably say the Bulls just because all those guys were in their prime at the time. Yeah, as opposed to Clippers yeah. all being in their almost mid-30s now. Or, or I'd even say more in their prime because if we're talking about the 72 and 10 Bulls, like all those guys were in their early 30s. I, I would imagine, I mean, Jordan was 32, 33, you know, yeah. um, Scotty was 31, 32. So I feel like they're actually more comparable than you think. Like all these guys, like they were good, but their prime was like early 90s. Like they were just in their sustained excellence, you know, with the diluted league with expansion, everything, not, you know, diminishing the greatness of those Bulls teams, but they were an older team. They were just, they. I would say they're comparable to the Clippers. I think you're right. I think the caliber of player in a defender like a Jordan, in a defender like a Pippen, I mean, I, I would probably put Kawhi in between those two. Um, I'd probably put Paul George just beneath them. Like, if we're, like, ranking those four, man, that's nasty. But you add Drew Holiday in there, maybe so. Maybe so. That's interesting. At least, on, and let's be very specific, we're talking about that core defensively. Like, th- like defensively. I-, I-, I think that there's an argument to be to be made. There's a conversation to be had. Then let's talk about the Golden State Warriors, as you're the last team. I know. I said maybe the Knicks or the Nets. I think both teams could be in position due to the amount of picks they have. And, mm-hmm. you know, they have Sally filler to make it work and whatever. But I don't know. I don't see Golden State doing it. I'm not going to lie to you. I just – I feel like you don't do – I mean, that that hits, in my mind, there you make a big th- – it hits, uh, in my mind, them as – they've already did this kind of dance before with D'Angelo Russell. Like, you bring a guy in Chris Paul, you've already had the workout videos, you already have, you know – um, Draymond Green saying his most important season of my career, I got to win one for Chris Paul. Like, all these things already. And then you immediately flip them. I get it. Like, the opportunity cost is there. But I'm just saying as a team, knowing your front office was just like, boom. And I get it. Like, Chris Paul had the potential to be moved at the deadline. Like, this was always a thing. I just don't know if that sends a good message. I just don't know if that sends a good message. I, I get it. No one thought it was going to pop up. But you literally, train camp Monday, okay, bye, we're rerouting you with Jonathan Kaminga, which you could do. And it could work. But for the same issues. Because you already have the issue with Chris Paul, I think, about with the team, who's going to come off the bench for them, right? Because you need defense. Chris Paul and Steph Curry have a very small defensive backcourt of guys who are actually older. Huh? 
which is why they would trade for Drew. But the problem is, I, I, I get that. But then again, like, I guess you're right. I mean, it's a bad, it's a bad backcourt. But like, at the same time, you get an element with Chris Paul that you would not give Drew Holiday. You also gain an element with Drew Holiday you wouldn't have a Chris Paul. Drew Holiday defensively raises their level, right? Drew Holiday, Andrew Wiggins, you know, Draymond Green, Kavon Looney, that's pretty nasty. That's good for protecting a 35-year-old Steph Curry and a 33-year-old Clay Thompson who's gone off of multiple, you know, extensive traumatic leg injuries. At the same time, if you look at what happened to them against the Lakers, yes, part of that was the fact that they just, you know, defensively weren't up to speed. Jordan Poole was horrible, all of that. At the same time, the Lakers kind of figured out the the, the defense that they used on the Warriors. There wasn't any diversification there. And the sneaky thing about Drew Holiday the past two, past two postseasons, offensively, not been super great. Not been horrible, but not been super great. At least the idea of Chris Paul gives you an element of a change of pace. He's still all world in the pick and roll. He's still somebody who can help you out and play along as an off-ball shooter and 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 give another layer of diversification to your offense. That Drew Holiday, while being a very good offensive player, I I, I don't know if it's the same. I guess. In my mind, if the trade is there and it's 2K or my game basketball GM and you make it, boom. But at the same time, like, I don't know. The optics is something that bugs me. I don't know. How do you feel about Steven? The optics are, ah. I think when you're a team like Golden State, where you've already won all these rings and you know you probably have maybe another two or three year window, I don't care about optics. I'm already paying the biggest. I'm paying the if I'm the owner, I'm the biggest luxury tax bill in NBA history. Back to back heels, I'm paying. I don't care. I'm trading for Drew Holiday, and that's the end of it. It's not even a question. Jonathan Kaminga might be nothing. I hate to say it. I loved him as a prospect. He is not developed. If there's a way we could give up a first in Chris Paul and Jonathan Kaminga, I'm doing that ten times out of ten. That, that that's, that's fair. fair. I, I, I don't know. That's we talk about Boston being six deep. Imagine Drew, Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Draymond, Looney. I mean, that'd be pretty. That'd be pretty good defensively. You keep figure. You keep Moses Moody. You just drafted Brandon Podzemski. I mean, there's guys there. That's. I mean, you're hoping that Moses Moody takes a leap, which has been slow in coming. You're hoping that Podzemski comes out the gate and is ready to play. Which, based off summer league, I mean, yes, but no. I I think that just puts a lot of pressure still on Steph Curry for your offense. Drew Holiday is a is a is a good offensive player, but like, I I I I still think it puts a lot of creation ability on thirty five year old Steph Curry on a night and night out basis. Like Drew Holiday is more capable of making his own shot than I would say a Clay Thompson is. But like at the end of the day, crunch time when it's like that, those guys are dependent on others, you know. And I I I, I yes, the boost you get defensively from Drew Holiday. No argument here. And offensively, it's not that big a step down. It's not like Drew Holiday's offensive liability, not in the slightest. But I don't know. I guess you're right. Like you said, for me, the optics would be an issue. But like you said, you're trying to win championship and, you know, the title window is closing. Then you just go for it. Then sure. Does it make them demonstrably better? I mean, let me ask you this. If you get, given where, given where the Warriors were last year, right? Given where they finished Given all that, do you say, let's say we make a trade and we bring in Drew Holiday and you trade out, I don't know, um, um, Jonathan Kaminga and Chris Paul. Do you look at them as a better team than, I don't know, the Grizzlies? 
I think they'll be to win in the playoffs in the Grizzlies. Grizzlies probably win more regular season games like they did last year. That's what I mean. So here, I'm going to read the top. I'm going to read um, Grizzlies. Uh, Golden State Warriors ended up sixth, right, last year. Okay. Um, make the trade for Drew Holiday. They're not better than the Nuggets. Maybe Are better sure? than the Are you positive with Drew Holiday, with what the Nuggets lost between not being able to replace Bruce Brown with losing – um. They lost what's his name too. I'm drawing a blank. They lost two guys this year in the playoff. Oh, Jeff Green? No. Um, they did lose Jeff Green, but no. Either way, I back on state team with Drew and Steph and Clay. And you're putting Drew Holiday around the two best shooters in NBA history, who's an elite perimeter defender, elite glue guy connective piece, with Draymond Green, who's also an elite glue guy and defensive piece. Drew Holiday won. Three-time teammate of the year, back-to-back-to-back years. You know Draymond's not going to punch him in the face. Um, There's just so many layers to what that Golden State team could be doing. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. I I, I just, okay, I, I say they're better. I put them maybe over the Kings. I don't put them over the Suns. I don't put them over the Lakers. I don't put them over the Knights. I think it's a conversation that they could be the best team in the West. But, but... I also wouldn't. I, I think you could argue if this trade happens and he goes to okay. Golden State, I think you could make an argument for Golden State. I think you make an argument for Denver. I think you could make an argument for Phoenix and maybe the Lakers. I think all four of those teams. So, why the Lakers? Sorry, I'm a Laker fan here. Why Why could you maybe make an argument for the Lakers? Their bench like got the significantly deeper. Andrew, Andrew, An- Anthony, thank you. Anthony Davis gave Golden State problems. And making this trade for Drew Holiday, I still think Anthony Davis gives Golden State problems. I mean, you got to see LeBron James in year 21, but the Lakers so got you deeper. You want me to drop the maybe? You want me to say that would be the tier A? Thank no. you. I, okay. I would drop the maybe. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> but, but my point is, I think any of those four teams could find a way to make the NBA championship and be the representatives of the Western Conference. I'm saying going to say could be number one out of those four, mm-hmm. but they, they could be four out of four as well. Yeah, I can't argue with you on that. If at this point with your title window closing, you have a chance to be one out of those four, you take the swing. I don't think Chris Paul puts him in the conversation as the best team in the West, but I think Drew Holiday does. Wow. Uh, okay. No, I get you. I I, I I guess my argument would be I don't think that it changes them much regardless. I think that they're still right in the thick of a very tough Western Conference. Now, I won't argue with you. I think that the addition of – um. Drew Holiday maybe makes you closer to that, but it's still a question mark, you know? Um, but I get you. I get you. I, 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 at this point, Drew Holiday is a better player than Chris Paul. Easy. I think it's just the role that Chris Paul would play for the Warriors compared to the role that Drew Holiday would. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I think that it's interesting. That's a good – that's a Twitter poll. I might think of a Twitter poll. That's a good question. So the last one, let's quickly talk about the Phoenix Suns before we sign off here. Mm-hmm. So – they basically trade DeAndre Aiden and Tumani Kamara and get Yusuf Nurchik, Nasir Little, Grayson Allen, and Keon Johnson, who apparently wanted the two guys they're going to waive. The spe- that seems stupid to me. The speculation they want TJ McConnell, so I'm thinking maybe... See, here's the thing. DeAndre Aiden is a superior player to Yusuf Nurchik, but Yusuf Nurchik makes half the amount of money, and the issue with the Suns, they basically have four max guys on their books, and then 11 minimums. There was no way they could have made a trade for like a mid-tier salary guy like TJ McConnell, for example. Like when the deadline comes, if they want to just upgrade on the margins, you're going to have to trade 
three or four expiring contracts just to make the salaries work. There's going to be a lot of three for ones. So now there doesn't have to be because now they have Jason Allen's $10 million on the books. They have Nas Little $7 million on the books. Now you could combine them for $17, $18 million guy, or you could um, trade either one of them individually for another $10 million, $7 million guy with a few second round picks attached to it. So that was really the main reason to make the trade. I suppose they thought the downgrade to Nurchik to cut the money in half that what Aiden was making to Nurchik, in addition to being able to be more flexible in terms of making moves around the margins with the mid-tier salaries, that's GM 101. I mean, they want TJ McConnell. Now they could trade Nasir Little and Keon Johnson with a second-round pick. Get TJ McConnell. There's a point guard you have coming off your bench. You, That's true. I, I like Grayson Allen. I think he's going to be wide open all day, and he's a real 40% three-point shooter on that team. I like him. I, I like Josh Okoji. I think Josh Koji and Josh Okoji and Nasir Little could compete for that fifth starting job with Grayson Allen coming off the bench. I think I like Kata Bates' job. I like Utah Watanabe, Eric Gordon, obviously. Drew Eubanks. Drew Eubanks is going to be Yusuf Nurchik's backup once again. Like he Once again. Yep. I think Phoenix has done a phenomenal job given what they had to do after acquiring Bradley Beal of filling out this roster. I I, I would agree. I, I, okay. I'm actually going to not say that. I think they did an interesting job of doing it. Um... There was something, I think it was, I'm trying to remember who said this. I think it was Amino Hassan. But, yes, I think it was Amino Hassan. He said that the Phoenix Suns made, outside of Eric Gordon, that they made July 17th signings on July 2nd. I think that's interesting. Like, all these guys, like uh, they're, they're, they're good players, but they're definitely largely dependent on, on the talent surrounding them. And right now, with a healthy Bradley Beal, a healthy Devin Booker, a healthy Kevin Durant, those look good on paper. But when they're playing off of those guys, I don't think, oh, wow, the Suns are really going to have to rely on 36-year-old Eric Gordon for this stretch of games. Or, oh, okay, Utah Watanabe, we need you to really pick it up here. Like, I don't know how scalable they are to stepping up if and when some of these Suns guys are injured. Unless we just have a you just miraculous, unanimous healthy season from all of them i like all these guys in a vacuum i don't like any of them like to be i don't know let's say you're you're missing kevin durant and and, and any combination of kevin durant bradley beal or, or bradley beal kevin durant and, and devin booker any of two of those three are out for extended stretch for whatever reason we saw kevin durant miss. new check has had injury histories himself the last uh, i'm sorry thank you Thank you. Exactly. Like he's averaged like 30 games the last three seasons or something. I, all of a sudden, that, that that depth is just players. Like it doesn't mean they're great players. It just means they're players. And it's good to have bodies. But I'm not like that's not a great team. That's just not a great team in my mind. Like again, I, I think that it, it, it was a, they did a good job given what they had with the new collective bargaining agreement in terms of filling out their roster. And these pieces are nice pieces. And you look at them and it's like, yeah, like they're this guy was a good backup for here. And Utah Watanabe had a good, you know, season off the bench for these guys. But like the role they're going to be playing now is a little bit different in my mind than the role they were playing on their respective teams. They were all backups on different teams of varying levels of dependability, right? And now, like, they're going to get run regardless, and they might be a lot more, you know, invaluable if or when an injury occurs to one of the Suns' big three because they are top-heavy as hell. And when that happens, or if that happens, all of a sudden, these guys that we're talking about, oh, they have a lot of depth. Now we're relying on them. Hey, can you 
Drew Eubanks, can you give me like 15, 16 points, right? Like Eric Gordon, can we, you know, turn back time to like 2017? You know, like all of a sudden, I just feel like these guys have the potential to be overtaxed in their role. So that's why I, I'm TBD on that. Like, yes, the depth looks good on paper right now. Let's see how this looks in, in January. You know, I don't totally disagree, but I, I think given they went the route of having four max contracts, I think they did the best with what they were able to do with it. Oh, agreed. Agreed. Um, they didn't really have now options. Now you have that Grayson Allen $10 million and that Nasir Little $7 million. You could either package for a guy or trade individually with maybe a minimum to get another small upgrade. Like, I think now that you were able to get off DeAndre Aiden's max, that you wouldn't have been able to flip for, you know, those smaller contract guys. Mm-hmm. I think now they set themselves up in position to make one more move around the trade deadline, essentially. Okay. No, that, that's I, I get that, and that's fair, and I think that's a logical thing. And mind you, I'm not saying that this move isn't better because it does put them in, in play to make a better deal to upgrade their roster. I just, um, I guess I'm, I'm I'm pushing back against the notion that Phoenix did an amazing job off the gate. I think they did a good job off the gate. And given what they had, yes, they knocked out the park, but I'm not going to re- talk about these guys like, oh, like this is like the murder of Roy. I think they did an interesting approach in going after players. Usually you have this big three team construct. You go after players who were really good like six, seven years ago, right? In this case, they have a lot of, up and young guys, a lot of guys who are, you know, varying ages of, of, of trying to prove themselves. The only guy who kind of fits that traditional mold of like the aging vet ring chaser who still has something to give possibly is Eric Gore. And everyone else is really interesting where they fall in the age and, and, and player timeline kind of capacity. But I guess that's my one pushback, but no, you're right. Given what they had to do and what they had to work with. If you had, like I said, basketball GM or 2k and giving me the situation where it's like, Hey, this is, I have four players. I got to build a roster. It's free agency. I got to build a roster around these four guys. Because remember, they had Aiden at the time. How do I do it? I don't know if, I, I know I don't do that, that obviously. But it, I would be hard-pressed, anyone would be hard-pressed to put a better roster around those four than Phoenix has. Doesn't mean they did an amazing job and it's going to be the greatest one ever. But, like, given what they had to work with, they did okay. I'm just not very high on it, personally. No, I, I get it. I still think they're in that upper echelon of the Western Conference, though, just because of the star power on the team. So uh, I, think, I think they did okay. Let me ask you this. Okay. As it stands right now, did Phoenix get better? Let's say they don't make a move. Let's say they get rid of – I don't like getting rid of Keon Johnson. He was a recent high pick just two years ago in the draft. But let's say you do that and you also, you know, move on um, – I forgot oh, I forgot his name. We just mentioned him. The two guys – let's say they move off the two guys. Moving on, right? Keep the roster as is. Did Phoenix get better than they were with Aiden? I think so. I, I think that the center position, unless you have a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic, is the most expendable. I mean, look look at the Warriors with Kevon Looney all these years. I mean, I, I think that the center position is the most replaceable position in the NBA. And you were talking about the death after this trade with how it's not the best. Mm-hmm. Before this trade, without Grace now and in the seal little, what did they have? That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. I think they got deeper. I think they set themselves up to make another move. And I think, yes, it was a downgraded center, but that's not the biggest deal in today's NBA. So, overall, yes, I do think they got better. 
I mean, they didn't get a Jokic stopper. I'm just kidding. There isn't a Jokic stopper. Was, yeah, but, that's yeah. Like, everyone's like, oh, well, they're going to throw Yusuf Nurchik at Oakley. No, they're not. Yeah, they're going to try. But it and, and he's going to fall out. 36, 17, and 13. It doesn't freaking matter. Nope. Congratulations. You have two points before his season. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, okay. I mean, I have nothing else in terms of this trade. Do you have anything else to add? Um, no, I I think a lot of it, I want to see if Portland's B goes to an A-plus when the inevitable Drew holiday trade happens. Uh, definitely want to see if we revisit this in, you know, at midseason, if Phoenix makes a trade with the pieces they got from this deal. And of course, we'll see how Milwaukee looks. But as of right now, no, I think this is a really, this, I'm glad we got our blockbuster just before media day. Like they let us wait all off season. The dog days were legit. The dog days with two big names swirling around, and now here we are. Um, but no, I, I think it's gonna be okay. I, I, I'm pretty. I think we got everything we had to say out, and it was fun to uh, break it down as we do. We still might get one more trade before media day, at least according to Shams on the Pat McAfee show. There we go. I um, hope. I hope that they do. I'm. I'm off on Monday. There we go. Perfect. So. Okay, you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at BirdRightSpot. You can follow my personal Twitter at the underscore NBA goal. That's N-B-A-G-E-L-L. Go listen to the One and Done podcast. Whether or not you're a college basketball fan, um, my co-host Sean Simpson and I have done, have been trying to make it so we make the more casual college basketball fans more knowledgeable. We try to not dumb it down. I don't want to sort it into our listeners, of course, but... You know, um, we 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 try to make it relatable and make it easier to follow than if you're not a diehard college basketball fan, essentially. We just did a film breakdown and an interview with Baylor point guard Ray J. Dennis. That was really cool to have. We have at least three more players coming on for film breakdowns and interviews before the season starts on November 5th. So be on the lookout for those. And Corbin, anything you want to plug? Uh, listen, I appreciate you having me on as always. Look forward to more collaborations and listen to One and Done because I'm trying to get on college basketball with the eye to the draft, of course. But you can follow me on Twitter at CorbinMBA. Um, check out Round Ball Ramble. Check out my other podcast, Roster Reconstruction. Um, Round Ball Ramble, we're doing our division preview series. Uh, we've already done two, uh, the Pacific Division with Richard Liu and the Southwest Division with david williams in fact you might hear steven on depending on how things work out for a division so that'll be fun but um aside from that um just ramping up for the season uh check out any work i have coming up for switch theory um hopefully i have some stuff cranking out there soon uh have a podcast slash article collaboration in the works to going over the gm tenure of one phil jackson um or president of basketball operations tenure if i will so that should be interesting but aside from that that's all i got make sure one more time check me out at corbin nba c-o-r B-A-N, M-B-A, and as always, Stephen, it is a pleasure. Okay, Corbin and I will talk to you guys each of our next episodes. Thanks for listening, and maybe we'll do this again in a few days with Drew Holiday. We'll see. Um.